Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Danny Lopriori. And today I am very excited because we have my first ever guest on the show, uh, my father, Danny Lopriori Sr. Uh, if you know him, he's uh, at all, he's a great, 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 great man. Uh, being able to have my father on as the first guest was something I've been thinking about and planning for a while. You know, because you think about you think about who you want to have on as your first guest, and like you know, kind of sets the tone for it, um, for where the show is going to go forward. But you know, that's like for me, that's where it all starts. You know, that that's my dad. That's like the the mecca of my personality. The um, basically the the ground zero of my my emotional makeup starts with my father and also my mother, but you know, they're, they're a team, but, uh, I'm actually going to try and get my mom on here at some point. We'll see. I think she'll just make fun of me the whole time. That's the only reason I might not do it. Nah, I love you, mom. Uh, but you know, to speak to my dad at 31 years old now and have this deep of a conversation on mental health and his journey and where he's come from and the progress he's made as well. Um, is crazy because when you're a kid, you look at your dad as like, this unstoppable, like, uh, manly man, like the, the the superhero, you know, and you know you feel like nothing can hurt your dad. And then you know when you get older, you you get to see them get older. But the conversations change from, you know, you think he's like this mythical figure, and then also you get to know their flaws as you get older and their troubles. But to see my dad grow so much emotionally and mentally has made him a bigger superhero to me than he ever was when I was a kid. Um, this interview, we talk about a lot of things, my childhood, his childhood, you know, a lot of our personality traits that are very similar. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, the era of which he grew up in where it was, you know, very tough for men to talk about their mental health uh, because, you know, it was like the 60s and 70s. And if like you weren't a manly man, you were a bitch. So, you know, and my father was somebody that didn't really receive treatment until much later in life. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to see his progression. Um, you know, we both got into therapy around the same time and our conversations now are it, they're father and son, but they're also man to man. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of men who could talk to me, uh, <laughs> certain ways that my dad could get away talking to me. You know, it's not that it's, it's when it comes from your dad, you know, it's for real. Um, when it comes from your dad, they don't really hold their tongues a lot of the time. At least my dad. I'm speaking for my dad. Everybody's dad is different. But, you know, my dad um, is my hero. He's always been my hero. And um, here we go. We're going to go ahead, and I'm going to throw it to the interview. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you guys so much for checking in. And, uh, yeah, here's the interview with me and my dad. Off the Cuff, Episode 2. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode two of Off the Cuff. I have a very special guest here today. Uh, some people call him the Wanderer. Some people call him a shapeshifter. 
I know him as Dad, uh, but a lot of people know you as Danny Senior. On the, on Instagram, you are known as Danny Senior. I I am. Yeah. Which which one yeah. of those names do you like the most? I like the shapeshifter. I like the wanderer. Yeah, I, I like the wanderer. The wanderer is a good one. The wanderer is because good if one. I if I leave, then people will know why. Yeah. So I wanted to ease into this thing. You know, not like go for you immediately, but like which one of your children is your favorite? If you had to pick one. If I had to pick one as as my favorite child? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, is there is there such thing as with the hair? One with a, pick the one with the, the male that has the most hair. Yeah. Let's see, that's another thing. Is the reason I, I usually wear hats, but I had to take a jab at your genetics a little bit and show that, you know, mommy kind of blessed me with all this hair that I have because Michael is is out the game. Jared's all the way out. You've been out for a long time. Yeah. I started I started losing my hair um, with my first serious girlfriend. Oh yeah. Well that'll I do. That, I don't know if that goes together, but that that's when be. it happened. That plus yeah. genetics, you know, it's like with steroids. Yes, you take does. steroids plus your genetic makeup might make you a lunatic at times. Yeah, no, genetics is, I see with hair, it's mostly, like they say, the father of. It's like the father. The mother. Yeah. It's my like the, grandfather, my mother's it, father was bald, was a bald guy. Was a bald guy. Um, okay. So. Bald guy. Let's stay on the realm of kids. When you were a kid, um. Do you remember possibly your first, um, I want to say, interaction or first moment of that you actually knew that you might be struggling with some depression and or mental health issues? Uh, because I know you're from an era where a lot of people kind of brush stuff under the rug when it came to like your mental health and getting treatment and stuff of that. So if you could touch on what it was like, this, what the stigmas were like when you were a kid and what it was like, your personal experience, that would be awesome. Well, you know, before uh, a year and a half of therapy, back a year or so ago, two years ago, I, I wouldn't have known. I would have told you, I don't know what that mental health thing is. I don't know what, the, what you're talking about. This never happened to me. My health has always been mental. My mental health has always been right. But therapy, in therapy, you get an educated, uh, intimate, one-on-one um, -on -one understanding that everyone, every human being, just like we all catch cold, just like we all get, you know, the flu, just like we all get chicken pox, everyone has mental health issues. They right. come in degrees. Some people handle their mental health issues just like you would handle a cold. They have good immune systems, whatever it is, they're lucky. Because as a kid, we were very religious people. I kind of hid any depression or any sadness or anything by just going back to my mother's go-to. Don't worry, Jesus loves you. Everything's fine. And right. you just kind of over, just go right over it. You know, you don't worry about it. Jesus will take care of you. And God loves you. I love you. We all love you. At five, I saw my father interacting with a neighbor lady you know okay. nothing crazy just i saw something that was a little odd 
Yeah. And I said, Dad, you know, why, why, mommy? You know, and he said, Listen, don't tell your mother anything because I didn't do nothing and told me to lie if I was asked. Mm. And I remember feeling so confused. And I think there's where you start to understand that you can, you can develop mental health problems be, by just living, by just going through experiences in life. And you know, as a kid, you heard your mother and father arguing. You heard me, you know, flipping out when I was upset. I would lose my temper. I'd slap you guys. You start to develop adapting, how you adapt to, me, to your mental issues. Now, do you think that uh, seeing your father do something along those lines, even at the ripe young age of five, because realistically five is very, very young to even have that memory. So crisp, you know, 60 years later, I don't mean to age drop you, but like, you know, uh, to have that still that firm in your memory, do you think that might've been the beginning of possibly like maybe your own trust issues within your own family and your parents, uh, or maybe just feeling like, you know, uh, you know, like a betrayal maybe towards your mom, or maybe that, you know, you didn't really know how to d- deal with it because you were five. Yeah, I think we, I, and look, we want to be like your dad. Yeah. When you were a kid. Or you, in, me, in my case, I liked the way my mom was. So I said, you know, my mom, I like to be more like my mom. My dad was not as, as communicative. He wasn't as loving. So I thought, I'm going to be some like my mom here, and but I want to be macho like my dad. I want to be handsome. I want to all these things. I want to be like your father, I, most kids, most boys. I, I, I still, I so still I think, think you're very handsome. At that po- you're very handsome. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's what I, that's what I was shooting for. Yes. That's why I have all this makeup on. You know, you look, I have you all look, the tan makeup. You look awesome, and I promise not to interrupt. I promise not to interrupt like anyone. <laughs> no, you can interrupt. If you're going to say I'm handsome or I'm intelligent or witty. Yes, that's, that, that's the only time I'm going to do it. But carry on. Sorry. Those three things. So quickly, you know, I don't want to you know, belabor all of it, but you start to take qualities from those people you love the most and you start to incorporate them into your life, even without knowing. My mother never cried or showed sadness. I didn't do it. My father would call you an idiot if you did something wrong. He was very argumentative. He would fight you even five or six years old. Oh, yeah, prove it. And so I learned to be argumentative to this day. My greatest downfall is if your mom says something to me, I come and I have an argument. Good or bad, I have to come up with an argument. And it becomes a very bad way of living, but it's something that's ingrained in you. You start to do the things you were trained to do. In my father's case, I learned very early what what things were between men and women. I understood his sexuality. He used to always say, oh, look at that beautiful girl. Look at that beautiful girl. You, you get all of these things from your parents. So going back to the mental health thing, which I, this is obviously the focus of a lot of what you're doing now, what you learned, you learned from me and your mom. And then you kick in some of your sidekicks and people you learn. Right. Learn from your friends, your world experience. But you do get the basis of what you think and believe and how you develop from your parents. It's almost like this. It's almost like if you're, I'll put it in modern terms. If you're, if you get COVID and you bring it home, everybody's going to get COVID. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of that. So you can't say, well, there's something wrong with you because you got COVID. You got it from somewhere. You have pulled it into your life some, from somewhere else. And that's what any mel- mental illness is. It's the development of problems with your mental, not only mental, but spiritual because spiritual things, mental things and physical things tie together. You know, you were going through all of your anxiety, 
and your panic attacks that your body breaks down. Yeah. You spiritually get very lost. Your brain starts to malfunction. So all of those things are not just mental illnesses. They're an infirmity. They're a sickness that's attacking all these three parts of who you are. And it, look, I'm, I consider myself a nice guy, a nice person with well-meaning, good person, but I can do the most damning, stupid, hurtful, miserable things, even to people I love. And that will also cause, cause you to have a lot of self-hate and guilt. Those are things we want to clean out. That's why I'm so proud of you guys, you, Michael. You're able to come out publicly and tell yeah. people, listen, we all need to clean out these little infirmities, these little diseases. I'm 67. I'm still learn. I'm still beginning to learn what it is that I do that's mental illness related. And you know, it's like uh, when you know when you grow up, like you said, it's like uh, it's a nature and nurture. It's a it's a combination. But like you know, it becomes a situation where you kind of have to go through certain things that will get you. To almost to a point where you're like, okay, like I have to do something different. This isn't the right thing to do. You kind of have to learn from your experiences and also learn from the things that you do wrong. But like you said, I'm very similar in that aspect where it's like, I consider myself a nice guy, but I can make mistakes too that are almost, you know, they're almost so hurtful that you end up actually hating yourself for doing it. Well, they're, mis they're mistakes of self-preservation most times. Like, right. Why do we lie? We lie to save ourselves yeah and yeah and not not only not only most people don't lie except for certain people just want to build themselves up into you know they we do it for self-preservation yeah uh, again i'll go back to this idea of what see when i was a kid you call somebody crazy they got they got offended when my father would say to me you're crazy you did something crazy that was considered you know that's the way we describe someone who mentally was not quite right this is the thing we really all have to learn in this world. No one, no one escapes attack to the mental part of your body or your life. No one. Everyone has to deal with it in some way. There are people that are just very good at dealing with it. Some people it's religion. Some people it's, like you said, you've said this in one of your episodes, it's, it's physical things, it's getting exercise. Some people it's nutrition. There's ways of dealing with it, but you still will be attacked you will still be attacked. Just like all of us will this fall may get the flu. How do you deal with it? Do you run around without your clothes on? Do you go home and just you know drink some scotch? Yeah. You, you have to deal with it a certain way. I personally have always been a person that tries to pull myself back down to understanding it's all going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. I think I told that to you and you were freaking out. But you yeah. don't always believe that. You no, know it's, that it's there's hard. something really wrong. There's something really wrong. And that's what it takes. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard in the moment, but like, uh, if you think about it, you know, like I've I've always like I've told like these stories in 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 levity. You know what I mean? Uh, when we were younger, you would kind of just bottle stuff, and then you would have like one really bad night where you would go for like an eight hour walk, and yeah, or 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 worse, or or worse. So yeah, in, ter in terms of that. Do you think that now that you're in therapy and you, even at this later stage in your life, do you look back on moments like that and be like, man, I really wish I was better at coping? Or do you actually look back at those things and now that you can actually learn better from them because you did that? Well, here, here it is. Well, something that's, something that's, that's trained in you. You don't do it on purpose. It gets trained in you. It's very difficult to untrain. So my biggest 
problem with myself is like the other day, your mom said something to me and made me feel upset instead of coping and saying, here's some skills. Don't say anything personal. Take, take some time. I lash out. I say things that are just completely stupid. Like, you know, you know, you don't understand me. You just don't get it. But, and when I'm doing it, I know that it's, it's a reaction. Yeah. It's not, something I purpose to do. And your mother has become, over the years, she's very forgiving and understanding. At the same time, she's like, this guy, you know, got to learn that this, every time he does something like that, it's hurtful. But you yes. don't feel that hurt. You only feel your own hurt. You see, that's the problem with mental illness. It's very, very personal, very, very intimate. You don't care if the world falls apart. I'm the one that's hurt. I got to lash out. I'm freaking out. I got to do something. So this is something I'm going to tell you. I take it to my grave, maybe. And sense of humor is part of that. It helps to have For a sure. sense of humor. But, and I think, I also, I actually think that mental illness is very funny. It's yeah. a funny thing. It's comedic. There's things about the way we do things that's comedic. We have, we have someone that's leading our country. It's funny, but it's also, you see, there's some problems, you know, there's some problems maybe going on. Right. That person doesn't understand. We, we, we all have this same problem. I, I, this is what I believe. I believe that if we would learn at five or six with therapy, see, our parents are supposed to be our therapists, mm. but a lot of times they are also in pain. They're also going through problems and they don't really understand that they need to be therapists for their children. Talk to me, son. Don't hide what you're feeling. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to hug me and tell me you love me, tell me, write it. Mm down it's okay don't get upset it doesn't really work so we all all we what you're doing today what we do as parents what you do for me we all have to be therapists for each other we all have to say let me tell me what you're going through talk to me and all of that the expression even podcasts I find to be therapeutic when your friends go back and forth with you, when your listeners go back and forth with you, it's all expression of, of her that yeah, we have and, and we need to express it. And it's people, it's people that honestly, maybe they might not have. I always say that I'm blessed to have a platform where I get to talk to people every day and it's hundreds of thousands of people. And I, and I love that, but you know, some people fall through the cracks but I, I love to see that, you know, the community, they come together and they talk to each other in my comment section and they lift each other up. And, you know, a part of why I wanted to have you on as my first guest is because, one, we're the only two Danny Lopriores uh, on earth um, that our names are actually Danny. We do have a cousin. Uh, I have a cousin, Daniel. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, what I wanted yeah, to get, I get your also. Bills. I get your bills. I, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. Uh, and then, my, and, then, and then mommy sends them to me immediately. <laughs> Snapshot. Yeah, I noticed you leave the junior off for some of them. Yeah, you, you just know. leave the junior off. Listen, some so, of hey, yeah, hey, listen, you know, everyone needs a cosigner from time to time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what I'll say is this. Right. What I'll say is this. From the moment you had uh, Kiana come into your life. So for those who don't know, they might know, Kiana is from a, a different a prior relationship that my mother had. Uh, that was your first kid, pretty much. And then Jared was born, your first son. Uh, I, just yes. wanted to, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that mentally 
as a man, um, the, the, the pride that comes into, uh, you know, the stigma of raising somebody else's child, right? Or the stigma of being like, well, that's not really your kid. And a lot of right. that, and a lot of that, I'll get into where that went, obviously, with your own family, what you had to deal yeah. with. Oh, yeah. But, you know, um, how are you as a man um, in that era able to put your pride to the side and say, you know, I love this woman. I love this child as if it's my own child. And then having your own child, uh, you know, technically, biologically, Jared, and loving them the same that way. What was, what was that journey like actually having a practice kid for a little bit? Yeah. And then yeah. you have Jared, and now you have both of them. Let me know just a little bit of what where your pride was in that time and how powerful love was for you to deal with that. Because a lot of men, I feel like, they're like, ah, oh, she has a kid. You know, I don't know if I could do this. What were your What was your thought process in that time? Because at that, that time, you didn't give a shit what anybody said. No. Uh, here's your best quality is usually your worst quality. Usually. Mm. So I had a very big sense of myself as being sort of like a, a savior to people. I was always helping people, doing things for people. Mm. The thing that shook me was that I was so attracted to your mother. She was so beautiful and so different. And so, I mean, any, any man and most men around at that time were like, oh, my God. Blah, blah. But I, I think a lot of them may have been afraid to take a chance on that, you know, that relationship. I was so full of the idea that I was strong that my ego would not allow me to treat Kiana any differently. I, I said, you know what? I'm going to treat her just like she were my own child, even though I didn't have any, but I did have a younger brother. I knew what it was like to love a, a brother, a child. So from the very beginning, she was very receptive. Your mom was very receptive. The dad, unfortunately had some problems and he wasn't around a lot. So it wasn't a lot of interference, right. but I was so, I was so egotistical that I thought I can just make this happen. Right. You know, she'll never even know she had another father. And, you know, sometimes that's not the greatest thing in the world to do because you have to realize there's a reality to what you're doing. It just worked out in that way. And Kiana, just for some reason, was very receptive. It didn't take, except for the wedding day where she told her mother, no, no, we were getting married. And she screamed out in the church, don't get married, no. And when they ask you if anybody here objects, she objected. Yeah. I don't know what what she was thinking. After that, she was fine. <laughs> when I had my, when I had my own son, my own child, the first child, of course, that was my first experience having my own child. So what I did, my head like almost exploded and he was born at home. I was right there. It was a weird kind of It was of a experience. boy. It was a boy. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot, a lot of things in there, but it's funny how the two of them connected so quickly Kiana became very sisterly very quickly. So it just went away. By the time you came, like eight years later, nine years later, the family was so constructed that there was no difference. Well, that's why. Kiana like, was I, very older sister. Like, I don't, I don't look at Kiana as like, oh, that's my half sister. Like, that's my yeah. sister. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I think a lot of yeah. that just comes from the foundation that you and mom really put in the work to make like that. Listen. There's different people here that whatever, but like this is this is the one. This is the real family unit that's happening right here. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think well, it's obviously your mother because she was the mother to both of those children. Right, and she never treated any of the five children 
it's amazing. It's amazing. Any of the five children were treated differently, except for, for different circumstances. When Michael's struggling, you or Jared, whatever, you go through different things. Right. When we adopted Kathy, the last of you five, right after you were born, she actually spent more time with her because right. she knew she had special things going on. So you guys kind of like, well, where did this kid come from? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, we got but we start, also, We were the haters. We were the haters. Yeah, well, yeah, it was natural. It was a natural thing for you to be like, wait a minute, all of a sudden this girl's getting all the attention. But Kathy didn't see it that way. She saw it as being needed and right, collected or whatever. The point is all of us have our own needs. And this is where we go back to mental illness and struggles. Each of us has a different perspective. You know, in my family, I thought me and my father were always at odds. I loved my mother. My brother Frank was always at odds with my mother for some reason I, can't, I couldn't figure out. And he, he attached himself to my father because he wanted to be like him. But there was a lot of anger, a lot of resentment that went around the family. My father never, ever sat us down and said, let's talk about these things. Let's love one another. Let's try to relate. He was so busy doing what he had to do. He was so dis- And his father died very young, so he had no idea how to what handle to it. So we all inherit. We inherit. And things. he. Um, and once you know you've inherited something, you either love it, embrace it, or you change it. Yes. And like, you know, like you said, uh, your dad comes from an era where his father died early and he was, I mean, let's just say what it is. He was poor as shit. Uh, and he yeah. only really. He didn't knew- rank as poor. He didn't rank as poor. That's he what ranked I'm saying. As nothing. So now you have, he had his little brother. You know what I mean? So like he had to really not learn any of that and be a dad at the age of what? 12. 12. So if you don't have a dad, and then the teach war, you how to be a dad. And then the war oh, happens. The war hit, and he has to now save his mother, his sister, his brother, and himself from starving. Exactly. Himself- and from bombs. So, so we used to wonder why he was so tough. How do you not be tough? And he had a mental illness. His illness was he could not have empathy for people who in some way were going through things. He was like, oh, be a man. Stop being a sissy. Yeah. You know, he didn't understand. Not everybody went through World War II as a 12-year-old on their own. He didn't understand that. He thought we were spoiled, rotten brats. Right. And He's he like, probably were. Well, well, there, there's, a yin, there's a yin and a yang to that because, like, obviously you're spoiled because you get to live the quote-unquote American dream, I guess. But like you yeah. said, there's no way that you're going to have an understanding of what it's like to see a bomb blow, blow up and, you know, you're stealing bread and all these things just to bring home to your family so you could live. Like that was his reality. He just, I, I always had this saying about Italian grandparents. They hate their children, but they love their grandchildren. grandchildren. Of course, because the children don't respond the way their expectations are, especially when they're here implanted in the United States, the next generation we're spoiled just by being, having food. Yeah. And, my father used to tell me, you eat every day, you're lucky you eat. I'm like, what are you talking about? Everybody eats every day. He goes, no, they don't. I said, yeah, they do. Look, yeah, look. Uh, yeah. One day he wouldn't let me eat because I wouldn't eat beans. He said, you got to eat the beans. I said, no, I didn't eat for like a day and a half because he said, that's the first, that's the last meal you're going to eat. A day and a half later, I was like, this guy's got to go to jail. He's got to go to jail. And then he told me once he didn't eat for a week. So stop oh, complaining. Sure. And that's a different perspective about what fear is, what loneliness is, what, what, what uh, starvation is you know my kids you you guys used to say I'm starving when you came home from school after just having eaten you know I'm starving 
That's yeah. what you think starving is, but it wasn't starving. It was just as hungry as relatively you can be. So, so we all have these things. You had the perfect balance of your mom and your dad. Because even yeah, grandpa, even grandpa, like I could see he would love us. He would play with us. He would kiss us. You know what I mean? Like, and he had yeah. that, that five o'clock shadow, kiss you on the cheek, scratch you up. Yeah. But anytime I, and I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but every time he saw his kids, he was like, ah, oh, so with this one now. It was always but like, uh, uh, he here was, we go. He what are we going to do? What, what, uh, you know, he's like, what, uh, what's this one going to do now? Crazy. Here's something crazy. He was just like that with us until we were 12. And then adolescence comes in and you start to develop your own idea of what you want to do. And your father says, do this, this, this. And you go, nah, I don't think I want to do that. He had no way of handling that. Right. Zero. Zero. And I went through a similar thing because I was always – you know, easy going. And when you guys would push me to a limit, you notice I lost my temper sometimes ridiculously because I couldn't handle that. You, why are these kids not listening? I'm so nice to them. Right. I didn't realize that you needed discipline. You needed so you know control. I let you just, you know, letting you just go made you podcasters, but letting you just go also made you irresponsible. One hundred, one hundred percent. Two different things. One hundred percent. And, and uh, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it any better myself, but. When you look back on the transition from your adolescence, so like you kind of never really had that father figure in the household. You know, you and your brothers grew up differently. You know, you cling to your mom, Uncle Frank cling to, you know, Dominic had his issues and kind of went out in the world. I always make the joke too, is like grandpa had no problem like disowning one kid for six months and then like another one for six months. He disowned all of you at one point. That's what they do. You know, so – if there was one question you could ask your father now, now that you've been in treatment, and then because I want to, I want to transfer from your upbringing to now you as a father with five kids. Um, if there was one question you could ask your dad now, what do you think that question would be? If you really had to ask him one question, and you would, you know, you would get a solid answer from him. Well. It's funny because I asked him at one point in my life, I was in my early 20s, I asked him if he loved me. Oh! You know what he said? He said, what does that mean? I said, do you love me? He goes, you're my kids. I said, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? He goes, well, we have children to keep the family going. And that's why I had children to keep the family going and work with me and help me. And so I said, but how about mom? Do you love me? He goes, you know, when you grow up the way I did, love is, doesn't come into it. It's survival. It's practical things. I married for practical reasons. I had children. Yeah. And so I thought that I could transform the romantic idea that I saw in movies or read in books to him. He didn't get it. What I would ask him now is, were you at least satisfied that we cared about you and loved you? Which I asked him before he died. And he said, I know you, I know you all love me. I just feel bad that I didn't do certain things. I really wanted to know that. Maybe it sounds selfish. It's just like right. you could ask me today whether or not, Dad, do you really love us? Is, you know, and I would be able to say, I genuinely love my children. I love the way you are. I love the things you think about. I don't like some things you do, which is, you know, natural. You don't agree with things that maybe some kids do. But I would have to say, I am satisfied the way my children turned out to be good, loving people. Right. And that makes me less mentally ill. So 
you know, having that stuff deal with your dad. I mean, I joke all the time. Uh, so I'm going to ask you. You do for I'm, a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I also joke because I've always had this thing with you where I would come over with my friend. There was only two things Grandpa really loved. It was uh, flipping houses and Bruno San Martino. Other than that, I don't think he loved anything, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say is, you know, do you think that possibly rubbed off on you? Because later in life, I started to stress saying I love you to you more. Yeah, of course. I, I, just, I, used to, I, I used to have a thing with my friends. I go, watch, I'm going to say I love you to my dad, and he's not going to say it back. Not that you didn't love me, but it was the way that you were raised. You were like, what, is, what does that even mean? Well, the, here, here's what happens with a father. Uh, again, you start to, like, filter why your children are asking these questions. Yeah. Mm. So it's usually something happened wrong, something discipline need to happen, sometime wrong in school. Yeah, but dad, man, don't you love me? So it was almost like I felt stupid saying, yeah, I love you. You can do whatever you want. And you want to hold something back, but that's not the way to describe it. This is what you need to do. Say, yes, I love you completely. But these things that you do, these things that are you going through have to be adjusted. I will love you anyway. I'll put it in, 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 in uh, plain as I can be. A good friend of mine told me, his daughter came to him. She said, I'm a lesbian. So he says, no, you're not. And wow. She said, don't you love me? And, she, and he stopped and he said, I do. I love you. And if you're a lesbian, that's the way it's going to be. That's right. where the difference is between separation. And, and look, you can never, ever define completely what the other person's heart is, what your sons or daughters do. We all think we're going to do it. We all think we're going to have a son. He's going to be a football player, a basketball player. He's going to be in the NBA. He's going to be bad. a doctor. My bad. I'm and, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it happens that that child says, you know, dad, I'm not into sports. I really like chess. Or I like, you know, I'm, I want to be an artist of some other kind. And you're like, you know something, man? I think he's a good artist, but it's hard because you already had expectations of what that child was going to be. That's so where like, we stop sometimes and get stuck. So let's, let's touch on that a little bit. So like when I was, I would say when I was around 15 to 18, maybe even younger, I acted out a lot in school. I was a pain in the ass. I'll be honest with you. I was, a, I was an embarrassment that you guys had to get these phone calls. Very rarely was it a good one. So but then I find this thing through football, right? And I'm playing really well and colleges are recruiting me and, you know, you get to come and see my game and you said, you know, oh man, the game your kid had yesterday was so good. Like, look at, look at him go. Then mm -hmm. football stops for me. I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to go to college. Do you, do you have a sense of disappointment and or failure at that point as a dad? Do you feel let down um, as a parent? Is, are there moments as a parent where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe my kids let me down in this, in this situation? Well, I didn't, personally, because I was a lot like you. Right. you know, I left high school. I wanted to go out and preach uh, the Bible and save the world, and my father thought I was a bum. Yeah. He said, what happened? You're not going to work. You're not going to do what I want. So I was very much like you, distracted. I didn't like college. I didn't want to go to college. A lot of things. What I was disappointed in is that I thought you didn't care about anything. I said, mm. Danny, you know, like, and you're like, yeah, you know, uh, and I don't think you knew yet what you wanted to do. I don't think you had an idea. That's exactly, that's so exactly that, what it was. I, yeah. I was disappointed that you didn't care about anything, but then I realized he has to find it. You're going to have to find wh wherever it was. And, and 
for, unfortunately for me at the time, I, I was ill. You know, I, I got sick. I had a heart attack. Yeah. Then I really felt like a failure. I thought I was going to die. I'm going to leave my kids with nothing. You know, there was a lot of things going on there. So you guys, in your teenage years, you had to deal with that. The fact Man, that your I dad was, was maybe not going to be around for a while. Yeah, but also I was... You think that didn't make me mentally ill? Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> that gave that, me some mental illness. That's right where, there. That was great. Uh, you're doing the whole show for me. These are things I wanted to segue into. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think because also it's like, you look at it like this, like Jared had a kid very young at 16. That's not easy. Michael had his issues growing up. You know what I mean? Kathy had her issues. You know, it was like, all right, like I have like one kid at least that like plays ball and like does these things. And I remember that coaches would call the house and I know I wouldn't call them back. And I remember one day you were, I remember one day we were talking about it and I could tell that you were very let down by it. Not because of it's like, oh, he's going to go play football somewhere, but it was more of like, this kid just doesn't care about shit. Yeah, that's what, I, what and it's almost like, oh God, he's just like me. Yeah. I knew it. This was going to catch up with me. Yeah. Not but, only that, it's named the same as me. <laughs> and, and, uh, all right. Two things. When did you realize that? You know, Michael gonna... was different because Michael was struggling with other things. And, and Michael was is sort of on his own. Jared was uh, out of the house very early, had a baby. So you were more the focus, you know, of the last part of that. You know, right. Kathy was on another different sort of situation, too. So and again, you feel I made this child. He's named after me. He's just like me. And now he's going to screw up just like I did when I was young. That, yeah. But I never thought I'm going to become a journalist. He's going to become something. I'm going to be a good parent. He's going to be a good parent. I'm going to find a wonderful wife. He's going to, I never thought of that. I just thought, Oh my God, I left this kid with his pants hanging mm. down. He's down. He's out in the world and he's running around and he's got no clothes. So yeah. I felt really, really guilty about it. And you don't want to face, you don't want to face your guilt. Oh, Jared, Danny, let's talk about how screwed up I did this. We don't do that. We're, we're not capable a lot of times of taking responsibility. So I, yeah. I apologize now for that, but I, well, also I apologize too. I didn't give you, I didn't give you. <laughs> I want to take credit though, for the fact that one thing I will always say, not one person in any of your failures, whether it was school, whether it was not one person ever would call me and say, your kids are messed up people. They're bad people. They did something bad. I mean, we had, had occasion for a couple little things that I won't talk about. But we oh, most of most of the time, my children were such good people that I kind of said, you know what, that was my goal. So mm. I achieved that goal. And now, with your accomplishments, with what you guys are doing, and even when you struggled a year ago, you went through all kind everything you could possibly go through. I thought you were going to die. I really did. I said, this kid's going to jump off a building. First, he's going to tell me. Yeah. He's jumping off the building and then he's going to actually jump off the building. Cause you know, it's like, Oh no, kids, they don't do that. I thought you were. And when I saw you pull yourself out of that, of course with help, people helped you, but it was amazing. Cause I was in therapy at the time. And I remember telling you, dude, I'm in therapy. Yeah. You can go to therapy. No, but that's, you, but you, that's, that's a big that, reason. That's a big reason why I went to therapy was because that, so let's talk about that period in my life. So when I started having these panic attacks and this, crippling depression and anxiety. My father stayed with me for what, 10 days, 15 days up until I went into the hospital to be evaluated. And actually I had to check myself in. Um, my dad saw me cry. My dad saw me 
lose all this weight, not eat, uh, run away to the hospital late at night, racking up bills and bills and bills and bills. He would uh, sleep in a chair in the same room as me till I fell asleep, which was not until like five in the morning. Uh, and I've, I've never really been able to thank you for all of that. And I, I, and I want to, I have, but in this sense of the conversation, it's, I don't know if I would have made it out of there alive without, without you there, because I didn't, think that I had enough strength to do it on my own. So if it wasn't for you, whether we were staying at your town at Kiana's house or at your house, or you came to my apartment in the city, I don't think I would be here if that wasn't for you because you were like, I'm not going to do anything until I make sure that my kid is okay. Well, here, here's where, here's where a mentally ill egotistical person would say, yeah, Thank you. I appreciate that. But your mother, who is much more intimately aware of those kinds of things, she has had, you know, panic attacks and anxiety. She, every time I said, I can't take it, man. I can't take this kid. I'm going to start crying. I'm going to crack up. She sent me right back in there. She goes, Danny, you got to do this. You got to do it. You got to do it. So, I mean, yes, I will take credit for being there. But a lot of times it was your mother. For sure. I'll tell you, you talk to her about it. My, My wife, who I don't always treat well, you know, which is the way humans are. Yeah. She, she has uh, gone through so many things in her life. What crazy shit. That prepared her for this and did not, I was not prepared for it. I wasn't prepared for it. She told me, Danny, listen, I know you like to tell Jesus what's going on and everything's going to be fine, but you got to do something. You have to make an active try here and I don't care what it takes. You got to do it. I'll do it. You do it. And that's why it worked because I think you saw the both of us, we're under a lot of stress. And yes. I think at one point you said, dad, I don't want to do this to you, but it worked. And this is what everyone needs to know out there. Don't ever be ashamed of saying, mom, I need your help. Dad, I need your help. I don't care if you're 50. My brother, sister, friend, a neighbor, I need help. I'm gonna not going to make it if I don't need help. People will help you. And you want to know the craziest part is when it got – I feel a lot of people joke about like, oh man, uh, like I just want to die. And, and that's okay. That's an okay way to express something that you're going with. But I really wanted to die. Like I couldn't do it anymore. Like I couldn't, I was like, if this is the way I'm going to live my life, I'm not going to do this because look, I'm like, look what it's causing my family to go through. Look what it's causing my close friends to go to look what go through. Look what it's causing everyone that's around me in my circle to see me like that. And no matter what comes out of their mouth, I'm still feeling the same way. And, you know, I even told you, I said, dad, today's the day I'm good. I love you. Everything's good, but I'm, I'm done. I'm going to kill myself today. Oh, and I, remember- I think, I think, I think too, I think you more than that, we're looking just for relief. That's you all just I want relief. Some it's people like- want, you know, like me, I like big sleep. Let me sleep for like 24 hours. But in this essence, it's the same thing. We just need relief from the pain. And this is something I really want to tell you know, people. You know this already. The relief from that pain has to come in all different ways. You have to find a way. I don't care what it is. It could be listening to Hot Tuna. It could be listening to you know, Tupac. I don't care what it is. You have to find some place. You know, when I went to therapy, you know what it was like? It was like sitting under a tree in a beautiful weather, someplace under a tree, and just talking to myself about good, positive things. 
and yeah. everything was a wreck. But you have to find that place. I think therapy is one of the first place to start. And For then there sure. are other things. I mean, there are people that do, do need medications. I personally am not a like big medication person, but there are things that you can do that will help you alleviate the pain because otherwise then you feel like I don't want to deal with the pain anymore. And look, like you said before, pain, you learn through pain. You mm -hmm. learn things, but you also don't want to be debilitated. You want to get some help. And, and we all want to help each other in that. This is what you're doing here. That's why I'm, you said you want, wanted me to be on. I, the only reason that it's important for me, except for you, I love you, is that you need to hear more voices yeah. saying the same thing. You know, we hear enough bad. We need to hear more voices saying, listen, you are going to be sick. You can have mental illness. We're all going to experience it. Get the help you need. Yep. And then, uh, you know, I, I love telling people our story because it's just, it's not the typical American family story, but it is at the same time. Um, there's a lot of, oh, wow. Oh, this happened to your family. And then I tell people like, how many kids did your parents have? And then it's like, oh, like you do this for a living. So it's like, we got to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. Luckily, you know, grandpa invested in some property that we were able to grow up in a, as such a neighborhood as we were able to grow up, which I've never taken for granted. Yeah. Uh, and then also just, you know, the stuff that we've been through as men now, because I'm your son always, but now we get to talk to each other as men. When we were kids, I think you and I, we owe a lot of our relationship to Tiger Woods, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, oh, yeah, sports or whatever Eli, else is going Eli on. Manning. You know what I mean? That Those were the yeah, places. Saturday where, Night Live. Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. So, like, you know, these were where our conversations would happen. Because we would go almost the whole week not talking too much because there's five kids around. But yeah, I was – The hours you were home, I worked, so. So then, you know, when it was sports, I was always the one that would watch sports with you. So that's where we yes. became very close in that. Jared had a kid. He had to go out. He was working. Yeah. Michael wasn't really too big into watching pro sports. And then, you know, Kathy's a girl, you know, she didn't love sports and Kiana was out already. So that's where a lot of our bond. Yeah, Michael struggled. Michael's Michael. They, that, struggled, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said before, you were the one, you were the one that was most like me, which will, is a wonderful thing, but it causes the most guilt for the father. It causes right. the most guilt for, and probably for you. He's like, oh, my dad expects things of me. He, I could, you know, I should be more like him, or I should be more like this. We all do it. We all. Here's this, the most important thing. You talk about how we are fortunate. Look how fortunate we are. You could be in a country where there is no therapy. Yeah. There are bombs flying. There's famine. There's poverty. It's all relative to where you live. Those people have to survive every day and make it through. That's right. Every day, they don't even have time to be mentally ill. They don't know what that means. Right. And here in this country, though, we have so many things going for us. There's a lot expected of us to be better people, smarter people, more productive people. This is where the mental illness comes. It's from pressure. It's from the society pressing us, expecting things of us. Look, be the person who you are. Don't try to be something that somebody else wants you to be. Don't be afraid of being who you are, whether you're gay or straight or you're tall or you're black or you're Hispanic or whatever. Say, this is who I am, and I'm going to be so good at it that I will be able to adapt and adjust. And in there, there are going to be days. You know, 
who has cancer, Danny? I don't have it. You don't have it. But there are people with it. Yeah. They have to deal with that illness, just like we have to deal with mental illness or some other kind. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We all have to stop this idea that and that guy's nuts, man. That guy's out of his mind, man. That guy's into drugs, man. That guy's. We all have a problem or a situation, and we need to all work on that. And that's a pri- and that's a prideful thing too that the, that you need to be able to put yourself out there and be like, you know what? I have enough pride, and and to change the way I think and say the way that I used to think was wrong. That's just as powerful yeah. as that's just as powerful as saying, Oh, I've always been like this. And I've always thought this there's real power in being like, you know what? I shouldn't have been this way and I shouldn't have thought this way or I shouldn't have acted this way. So I'm going to fix it yeah. and I'm going to do this. That's powerful. Yeah, too. And there's something that, yeah, it is. And here's, this is, this is the one I will lean on as being the most powerful. There are, I'm not going to say what the habits are. We get into habits in our lives. It could be a dependency. It could be scratch-offs, you know? Yeah, yeah, so trust me. Oh, I like scratch-offs. I do scratch-offs every day. Scratch-offs every day. Sometimes I look at it and go, I wonder what would happen if I had to stop doing those. It's a, oh, it's yeah. a thing that you find habitual. Some people are smoking, smoking, drinking, sex, whatever you like. The, the point is, there are Tetris. the things that I... Yeah, there you go. The, yes, the things that I know I have a problem with are impatience with people that don't listen to what I'm doing. Uh, I get quick to anger when I'm frustrated. And this is the thing you take out on who? Your wife, your girlfriend, your friends. Those are the people who see it. You know, we can't all go to a bar and fight with strangers. We usually hurt the people that are closest to us. This is the thing I'm trying to work out with my relationship with your mother. How to speak in the right way instead of saying, oh, you you don't get me, you don't love me. All of those things are childish. But there are illnesses that started when you're young. I have to learn that, Danny, you need to speak in the right way to someone that you love. Period. That's my thing I'm working on now. Speaking to the choir, right? Preach it, preach it. Everyone listening... Everyone listening and watching knows what they, their thing is. They know what it is. They know it's depression. Do. They know it's anger. They know it's uh, being selfish. They know it's mud, whatever it is that you have to learn to face it, like I try to do. And yet, at times, I look at your mother and she'll go, this guy never learns, man. No matter what happens, he still does the same shit. Yeah. It's true. Over and over again. Was he stupid? What is he, mentally ill? Yes. Yes <laughs> oh, and yes. I'm trying. I'm trying. Maybe this is part of that, you know? But um, so we'll I, wanted, I, I wanted to close. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many gems in this episode. Um, we've touched on us and our relationship and a relationship with your, uh, your dad and your mom and, you know, with your children. Um, I just want to segue from – that into growing up in a mixed race uh, situation at a time where racial tensions were very high and also in a time now where, where it's very high. Um, I wanted to see what that was like and if you can go into depth a little bit about what it was like being with a Hispanic woman, living in the Bronx, being Italian, having Italian family members, and how you got through that as a unit and what that did to your mental health as well. Well, here is the the problem again with ego. My ego told me this woman loves me, you know, because your mom grew up with a lot of Italian. Mm -hmm. So she, she had nothing unusual for her. I had a girl, I had girlfriends that were Hispanic and black before. 
My ego told me this means nothing. I, I actually completely made it unre- This means nothing to anyone. Right. And I'm going to convince everyone that this it means nothing. Guess what? There are things that are deep in people. And I'm not even going to say it was racism or anything, but my parents saw me marrying an Italian girl that was a virgin. Stay with your own. Exactly. Very big. Even and it works in all directions. You know, yeah. the, the problem I had is instead of saying, let me adjust to this with them. Let me try to let them know her. I immediately went to, from, you know, relationship to marriage. I never gave them a chance but it exposed them, it exposed right. the situation. And it made me realize I was so like proud of myself, you know, Oh, you know, look yeah. at this. I don't care. I'm not a racist. Yeah. 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 A, yeah. I'm not a racist. I was so proud of myself. I didn't do the work. And, and, it, and here's who it hurt. It didn't hurt me, the white guy, you know, from uh, Westchester. It hurt your mother who had grown up seeing this, thinking I'm marrying someone that's not like that. And then getting thrown into a place where everybody in the family was like, Oh, you know, it's not that we don't like her, but you know, she's a uh, Puerto Rican. And then, uh, you know, she has a baby. And then what are people going to say? It was her that had to take all the shit. Right. And let me tell you something. You don't have much of a sense of humor when you have to take that. I, so I, I would try to, don't. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. It's funny. You know, my brother's an asshole. It's funny. I, it didn't work. And, right. and I think your mother kind of resented that. She's like, you know, dude, you know, don't you get it? Don't you know what it feels like? I'm still learning what it feels like. You know, I'm in. Yeah, you were just there forever. Puerto Rico for a month. Some guy comes up to me and says, you don't speak English. You speak English here. You speak Spanish here. I was like, that's racist, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> this is America. I'm an American. Yeah, right? But I could feel what it was like to be outside. I felt what it was like to be the outsider. I'm like, wait a minute, man. I'm, I'm from New York. You can't talk to me like that. I didn't realize that I was in their world. Mm-hmm. And I was an outsider being arrogant to them. So right. we all are going to feel this. You guys felt it growing up. The world's feeling it now with Black Lives Matter and all of it. You know who feels it? A lot of these white kids that are in those protests, mm-hmm. they have friends that are black and Hispanic and, and, and they can feel it. Even yeah. though they're not living it, they can feel that, that pain. And that's something, again, it's a mental illness. Why are people racist? They were trained somehow to believe that they were better. That's a mental illness. Years and years, years and years of, of, of mental development. Training. Of training. Yeah. And now we have leaders on both sides. You know, people are extreme. Leaders on one side go, it's okay to be like that because those people are not good. This is something that's trained. And yeah. let me tell you something. Right now we have a mentally ill country, including me, including you. We have problems. We need to get skills and we need to get therapy you know hopefully we'll be able to help each other because it's going to be rough going to be rough racism is rough rough. you experienced it yeah you experienced it in white white new jersey you know everybody blonde but you you know people say things like you know call them you guys got called nigger yep and i was like they're not even dark i know (laughs) what are you talking about that shows that shows you yeah it was it was the relativity of who you were and where you were and eventually people respect yeah, I mean, did you? But like you had to fight. Yeah, I had to fight. I had to fight a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, but- it's painful. It's painful to hey, you know what, Danny? It's painful to see other people that are mentally ill and you can't do anything about it. And it's also painful when you're the one. You know, how many people will say to you, Danny? What are you getting so anxious for? Why do you have these panic attacks? Everything's fine. You, they don't feel what you're feeling at the time. 
Right. We all need to experience and, and help each other go through those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, like even, so you're an author. I am. Uh, you have a book out now, uh, missing Miriam, which, uh, is a great synopsis kind of into Miriam. This is missing Miriam. I will put, I will put the link in, uh, the bio. So if you want to go check out my father's book, you can, but a lot of it is based on real life stories from you and your relationship. It's autobiographical. It's hopeful, but it also talks about the fact that as a male, I missed the good things about my wife for many years, trying to get her to be what I wanted her to be. Instead of, you know, you're beautiful, you're this, do this, 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 and this. I was looking for something. She was looking to give me something else. And the book talks about missing someone that you love and missing the points about them that are uh, the most wonderful. And it, it is a study in my therapy and what I went through, what I'm still struggling with, the idea that you can love somebody and not treat them well. And you need to appreciate the fact that love is supposed to be good. It's not supposed to be selfish. That's that one. You know, yeah. Missy Miriam. It's not a girl book. It's really for guys that need to learn how to love better. Yes, yes, for sure. And I think uh, as men, we do deal with that that love ego where things that don't matter matter too much to us uh, in relationships. And they it's do. a pride and ego thing. And then, like you said, it's childish. And the people that catch the heat are the people closest to us. Uh, I think that now that, that we're both in treatment, I think we've learned how to be men uh, – later in life but i think a part of it is we always were men we just didn't do it the right way you're trained mm. we're trained we we have we replicate what we see not only on television in the real world and our friends and successful look at all the successful males in the world who don't treat women well so you see those men go oh, you know look at that guy he's uh, you know muhammad ali whoever he is that's yeah. six wives and he, he yeah. We all look at the success, but we don't realize that the real success is how you love the person you're closest to. I wish that I could say that I treat my wife better than I do. I wish I could say it someday. I want to be able to say that one day, that my wife will say to me, that is the way I want to be treated. treated That's yeah. all. I'm not asking for much, and I feel the same way about my children. I think I've done better with my children. I think so, you know, too. I, I think like we're, to we're be, closer. You know, we're better closer. Too. We're closer than we've ever been now. Yeah, because a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth. And, and with, a, with a spouse relationship or male-female, it's different because there's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of things that are years in. That you hurt me once. I hurt you once. Right. All of those things are very hard to get out. You know, That's why we find someone else because we're like tired of hurting the person we're with. That's why people have serial relationships because they, not because they're not, they don't love the person. They just can't get it right. So with your children, it's a little easier. You're a little bit more understanding. You're a little bit more benefit. You're more love with with a spouse. There's a challenge every day and how much of her and how much of me is in here. You know, and I apologize publicly many times, including in this book for not getting it, you know, yeah, tomorrow I will not get it again. I know. That's you know? the part that sucks. It's tough. It's very tough. It's very tough. tough. It's tough. All right. But uh, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. We went way longer than I thought we were going to go, but you're my dad. And I'm a little dis- it's my, I'm a little it's my show, so I don't give a shit. 
No, I'm a little disappointed that we never talked about any titties or anything like that. You want to know? That's you know. I I I would. You know, everybody knows that I love titties and poop, but uh, you know, when you're going when you're going through what we're going through, sometimes maybe you think about titties too much. You know, there's nothing wrong with titties. I love them to death. But I think uh, you're probably right. You know, yeah. So you know, I will throw a couple no. titty references. Not there's anything wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. It is Breast Cancer oh, Awareness Month. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. Let's there it is. That. There's the plug right there. But, Dad, <laughs> Thanks, Dad thank you so much for coming on. I love you. Thank you so you. much. And uh, also, go check out his book, Missing Miriam. I will put the, uh, the link in the bio uh, for all you guys out there who need to treat your ladies better. And all those ladies trying to understand where a guy is coming from and why we're so damn stubborn. This book tells you all of it. I was there. I was there for a good amount of it, not all of it. I fact checked it. It's very autobiographical. But again, Dad, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I love you. You're the best dad in the world, and I'm looking forward to seeing you when I come back love up to New Go Yankees! I love the work you keep doing. The work, man. I will. I will. Oh, yeah, he says big, right. big, big game. Big game. Big game. Love you, Pop. See you later. Bye, babe. Bye. All right. Got some tears. Got some tears. I cried a little bit. I actually cried a little bit after the interview because, again, like I said, being able to talk to my dad that candidly is something that a son always wants to hear. And, like, I've always made jokes, like, on uh, – well, here and also be a part of, but like I've always kind of made jokes about how like my dad doesn't love me. Uh, kind of became like one of my running jokes on Instagram and shit. Uh, I think it's hilarious, so I'm gonna keep doing it. But um, you know, hearing my dad talk about his father and talk about my mom and you know these people that you know played these huge roles in his life, his mom, his brothers, you know, um. My dad's my dad. My dad has been through a lot of shit, and my mom has been through a fucking ton of shit, dude. Mad shit. Um, and just seeing that, you know, my dad used to not talk like that. That's what you guys need to understand, and the people at home need to understand is that my father wasn't that expressive when he was younger, when we were kids, you know. So to see him now, I'm super proud of him. Um. I just finished his book, Missing Miriam. I'm going to put a, a, a link in the description if you want to check it out. You know, my dad is the man. I love my dad. Uh, I'm blessed to be able to call him dad. Um, it's just nice to have conversations like that. <laughs> uh, you know. I do like how he threw in a little bit of titties at the end. You know, we, we always got a spot to make you chuckle a little bit. My dad's a big fan of my titty content as much as a father can be. Uh, but, yeah, man, uh, I want to thank you guys for watching the show. I want to thank my dad for coming on the show. Uh, you know, next week we got a great guest. I'll announce it on my Instagram uh, probably right after this goes out or maybe the day after see how, you know, see what's up. But uh, thank you guys so much. I love you. I hope you guys are having an amazing, amazing weekend. Stay strong. Stay focused. And listen, your brain game is fire. Peace.